Hello, I'm Father Dan Serratori from the St. Benedict's Catholic Community in Burwood, Melbourne, and welcome to our podcast. We hope you're blessed by this homily recorded at our Sunday Mass. May it enrich you and may it inspire you to embrace more fully the love, the life, and the mission of Jesus. Enjoy. Our Gospel today, I think, really shows off how good a teacher Jesus is. He's a really, really good teacher, and I think many would agree with that, but when I say he's a good teacher, I mean not only that he's got good stuff to say, you know, hopefully we're all somewhat convinced that Jesus has good teaching to offer us, but also in the skill of his teaching. Uh, Like, a good teacher is not only one who knows the content well, but is able to communicate it well. And a key part of that is understanding the audience and how they're able to receive the teaching. Because, you know, you might be an expert in mathematics, but it's going to look very different if you try and teach that to a year 12 class or a university class to some grade three kids. Again, you know, whatever subject you might be teaching, it's going to look very different if you're teaching experts in the field as to someone who has no idea. And today, as we look at Jesus' teaching, it's important to note that there are actually two audiences that he's talking to in this this crowd that's before him because if we follow how the reading goes he he comes down with the 12 disciples to a piece of level ground and it says there was a large gathering of disciples so these are disciples who are already following Jesus people who've heard him encountered him decided to follow Jesus but then also there's a large crowd from all parts from people from Judea Jerusalem Tyre Sidon who've come just to hear him because they're curious, just to be cured of their diseases because they want kind of something good to happen. These aren't disciples yet. And Jesus takes note of the two different groups and teaches them in very, very different ways. So once he arrives there, we actually want to look at what he does for each group. We actually have a a deleted scene in the gospel today, so I'll kind of get you behind the editor's version. Um, We've skipped a few verses in the reading we have today, but after it says the crowd has come, there's two verses where it says he, he goes through the crowds, these people that have just come that aren't his disciples yet, he goes through and heals them all. He casts out the evil spirits, he cures them all of their diseases, he walks amongst the crowd and power is going out from him. So that's what he does for the, the crowd, the, the randoms who've come just curious to listen to him. But then he turns his eyes to his disciples. And that's when he gives this teaching of happy are you when you are poor, happy are you when you are hungry, happy are you when you are weeping or when you are persecuted, and woe to you when you are rich or when you're fulfilled or when you're laughing or when the world speaks well of you. Now, it can seem like these are two totally opposite messages. To the crowds who've come seeking him, he's given them health, he's given them kind of life through his healing, he's given them freedom from their evil spirits, and he's giving them the satisfaction of their immediate needs, you know, their desires that they've come with, he's answering their needs. And then to the disciples, he's saying that, you know, the way that you'll be blessed will be through being poor and hungry and unsatisfied, through being persecuted, not having your needs met. So it seems like he's giving two totally different teachings, but 
Um, if you can believe me, Jesus actually has a consistent message for everyone. But he actually wants for everyone, you know, the fullness. He wants to satisfy all of our needs. He wants to give us joy and he wants to give us freedom. And these are the kind of things that everybody's looking for. We're all looking for health and life. We're all looking for joy in different ways. And Jesus wants to give that to us. But he communicates that in a very different way to these two crowds. So for the crowds, they don't already know Jesus. They're not decided that they want to follow him. They're not kind of convinced that Jesus is what they're looking for. So while they're looking for joy and freedom and life and all these things, they're looking for it, you know, anywhere in the world. They've come out curious for Jesus today, but, you know, tomorrow they might be kind of looking for those desires of their hearts. They're looking to fulfill it through their relationships or through entertainment or through their work. So Jesus has to convince them that he is the one who will answer those desires. He is the one that is going to give them life and healing and freedom, and he's going to fulfill all of their needs. So he gives them healing. He gives them freedom from what he's binding them up. He, he addresses all of their needs and gives them the answers, as if to say, I, I am what you are looking for. I am going to answer these needs that you have because that's what the crowds needed to hear. The disciples, though, are already convinced that Jesus is what they're looking for. The fact that their disciples says they've already made a decision, they're following Jesus. They're going around trying to live their lives, seeking after Jesus. They know that he is the one that will fulfill their desires. So instead of trying to convince them that Jesus is himself the answer to their desires, he wants to teach them about the quality of life that he wants to offer them, the quality of joy that he wants to offer them, the kind of way in which he will fulfill all of these desires of theirs. And so he says, happy are you when you are poor or hungry or mourning or persecuted and derided by people. Because what he wants for us is not simply you know, health of our body, um, that we would be able to walk and kind of get through life without sickness. What he wants for us is the fullness of life, you know, far beyond that simple level of health. What he wants for us is not just the riches of having a full bank account um, or having a good secure job where we're kind of looked after or where, you know, we feel we can contribute and we have a role in life but he wants to give us the, the riches of the kingdom of God, which is utterly beyond that. He doesn't simply just want to give us kind of a full belly, satisfy our hungers and our needs, but he wants to satisfy the very depth of who we are in a, in a far more profound way. You know, the, the, the communion, the body of Christ, the fullness of life, Jesus talks about it in these sorts of ways, but it's really kind of beyond what we can see in this life. So Jesus is saying to these disciples, don't set your hearts on simple riches that you can grasp or, you know, the simple joys of life that are in front of you because I have something so much greater on offer for you. 
And this is really what he wants for everybody, but he's just communicating it in these two different ways. But for both the crowds and for the disciples, he's inviting them to put their hope in him, to put their hopes that, that Jesus is the one that will satisfy what they need. And so for the crowd, that means put your hope in me instead of putting your hope in these other ways you can look for it in life. And so we can ask ourselves, do, do I find my joy and fulfillment in God or do I look for that fulfillment of those deep desires in, in other places, in my work, in my relationships, in comfort or entertainment? For the disciples then, he's saying, put your hope in me and not in the good things that I give you. And so we can ask ourselves, do we, do we trust in God or do we trust in the, the good experiences that we have of you know, God speaking to us, of God working in our lives? Or do we put our hope truly in God himself? And the, the real question behind this is, where do we sort of find ourselves? Are we in the crowd or are we disciples? Because I, I wonder, in that crowd that day, there might have been people who were sitting on the fence who were like, yeah, I'm going along with the guys who are following, but I'm not really totally convinced about this Jesus guy. So are we, are we looking for signs to convince us that Jesus is where we need to place our hope? Or are we already decided to seek after God, to, to seek all of this fulfillment in Jesus? And to be honest, we're all somewhat in both camps. Even if we're committed as disciples, we've decided that we want to live for Jesus, there's some corner of our hearts that's not quite sure and that's like, yeah, God, I, I, I want you to show me. I want a bit of proof, a bit of evidence. I'd like you to convince me that I'm on the right path. And God does, he gives the crowd those signs. He wants to convince us that we should follow him. But as we begin growing as disciples, those who are already following him, he teaches in a different way. He challenges those disciples to trust in him at a deeper level. He invites them to trust not only in the external signs, and this isn't only the healings or the miracles like he did that day, but even in our sense of God speaking to us in prayer, um, our sense of God working in our lives or hearing his voice. He calls us deeper to not only trust in those signs, but to trust in him. And when we find ourselves in perhaps it's the silence of listening to God, the dryness of prayer, or not seeing God acting in our lives as we would like. This is the, the poor and the hungry and the weeping that Jesus is talking about. When we find ourselves in that, our immediate response is so often to think that we're doing something wrong. And therefore that we need to fix it. We need to follow God better or we need to pray in a different way. We need to somehow turn this, turn this thing around. But God's using that to draw us to a deeper place of trusting in him, of hoping in him, not only in the signs and the ways that he moves. And so when this is happening, the response that God's calling forth is not that we would do something and, and fix the situation, but that we would be faithful to following him, be faithful to prayer, 
be faithful to trusting in him and hoping in him in a deeper way. And insofar as we're able to hope in the Lord, we can find ourselves like this tree that's planted beside the waters, which we heard about not only in the first reading, but also in the psalm. Psalm 1 and the first reading from the prophet Jeremiah. It's this tree that's planted beside the waters that we would be able to hope in the Lord such that we're tapping into, we're drawing into the life of the Lord, the joy of the Lord, deep in our lives. We thrust our roots into that stream of life that is God. And as it says in Jeremiah, when the heat comes, we feel no alarm. Our foliage stays green. And in a year of drought, we have no worries. If we're able to hope in the Lord and not in the external things that the Lord gives us. Because when our hope is truly in the Lord, we can be happy even when we are poor because we know that our riches are in God. We can be happy when we're hungry because we know that he's the one that will truly satisfy us and nothing else. We can be happy to weep because we know that God is our joy. And even when we find ourselves rejected or reviled or persecuted in whatever way, we can, as Jesus says, rejoice when that day comes and dance for joy because our hope is truly in Jesus. You can find reflection questions for this homily at stbenedicts.com.au forward slash homily. Thanks for joining us today and have a great week.